Attention! Is film like milk? Yes. Because it's got culture in it. And it's... Mm, damn it. <laughs> Whole milk. Skim milk. Medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we talk about film that has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind over time. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me, because I forced him to be here, David William Rogers. Hello to you. You pulled my arm, put me in a headlock. What's up, Paris? What's up? We've got a great movie today. I'm very excited. A film I had never seen previous to it coming up. David William Rogers, what is the film we are doing today? Yeah, the film we are doing is The Last Action Hero, 1993. It's directed by John McTiernan, writer Zach Penn, Adam Leaf, and then it went to Shane Black. David Arnott, and then also had some ghostwriting and some re-script uh, revisions from William Goldman, Carrie Fisher, and Larry Ferguson. So <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit. Lots of writers and, involved. <laughs> lots of people putting yeah. their two cents in. Okay, David, exactly. what's the synopsis of this film? If you had to boil it down, let's get real nitty gritty. Let's, let's boil it down. Okay, so, all right. So you open in on this little kid. He's I think he turned like 12 before this movie came up. And he's at a movie theater. He doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, his good buddy is like this older guy, Nick, who runs the theater. Big movie buff. And he's watching this Jack Slater movie that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? So kid gets in trouble, goes to, not jail, but he goes to the cop shop because somebody broke into his place when his mom was at work. He ends up going over to see Nick because he's going to see the new Jack Slater film at midnight. And Nick says, hey, I got this magic ticket. I don't know if this is really magic or not. Um, I went to see Harry Houdini. Sidebar, he's, he grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. And he breaks it in half. He's like, let's see if it works. It's supposed to be magic, right? So he gives, um, gives him the ticket, goes and sees it. And as he's watching the movie, like a car explodes, he gets glass like that tore up his hand a little bit. Somebody throws some dynamite. It's rolling down the aisle. And he's like, oh, shit. And he finds out that he can go into the movie so he jumps in he's in the back of arnold schwarzenegger's car and he's trying to convince arnold schwarzenegger or um jack slater the character in this movie that they're actually in a movie and he doesn't really believe them and they're going back and forth and we have a ton of cameos in this movie we have a ton of callbacks to other films and eventually jack slater finds out that he is really a fictional character because they get pulled back out into the real world chase down some bad guys um a lot of like hollywood isms in this movie you know all the women <laughs> are gorgeous there's a cartoon cat played by danny devito and it's really like i don't i don't want to say you know, it's like making fun of itself, but it's kind of like giving, it's like an homage and it's it like, like celebrates action, action genre. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty fun movie. Good synopsis. Very fun. Had you seen it previous to us watching it for the pod? Yeah. I've seen this movie multiple times. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, this movie was suggested to us by our wonderful guest today, who I'm very excited to um, introduce. His name is Lee Shorten. Hello to you, Lee. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hey, hey, thank you so much for having me. What up, man? So Lee is an actor. I believe we connected on Twitter because we're Aussies and Australians in America just find one another. <laughs> um, Lee is an actor. Like I said, he grew up in Tamworth, Australia. He has been in shows like Man in the High Castle. You were also in Kim's Convenience. And most recently, you were in a wonderful film that is on Apple Plus called Swan Song with some very heavy hitters. Lee... Tell us a little bit about your sort of path to acting. I know it has not been very linear. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think it's funny. It's like a, I swear every Asian actor has this story because like none of them started off acting probably because their parents wouldn't let them. So um, yeah, I, I graduated high school and I uh, didn't know what to do with my life and had decent grades. So everyone was like, we well, have to go to med school or law school. Ended up picking law school, uh, did that, hated it, worked as a lawyer for a few years, hated it even more, um, and then was uh, like, you know what, uh, I'm so unhappy, I should do something that makes me happy. And I remembered, you know, I was always that film nerd who watched all the DVDs with the director's commentary and was always the one being like, have you seen this trailer? We should go to this movie on, you know, and like that, that guy. It was like, your film makes me happy, so... 
quit my job, moved to Canada, and uh, just tried to give this acting thing a shot. That's very courageous. Um, when you first moved to Canada, did you have acting under your belt, like leaving Australia? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I hadn't acted since high school, and I got kicked out of my high school drama class, so I hadn't really acted since I was like <laughs> 15 or something. So, why, did, why did you get kicked out, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, so... <laughs> I, I I don't like I don't remember all the details, but we we had to like we had to read a classic play or a novel and then write our own monologue based on one of the side characters, and then perform it. And uh, I did Frankenstein, and I and I think I did like the guy that helps Frankenstein dig up the bodies. So I did this monologue, and it was pretty like dark and. Yeah, he's a good guy. The guy going to the <laughs> yeah. graveyards to help pull bodies out of Dead the ground. Bodies, right? Yeah. And then my drama teacher was like, "This is so like." fucked up and i don't want you in my class and yeah what? that's bullshit you should be able to create whatever character you want hey yeah. well you know well look who's laughing now yeah, so. yeah exactly yeah. jokes on her so. but interesting that you chose canada to start your acting career because i think a lot of people who you know think that they're going to make it in the industry of course la is like kind of the place that they think they're, they're going to go i mean we've all three of us ended up here now so what prompted you to go to canada the cold neighbor to america uh i kind of you know i i had an inkling <laughs> that the industry was very tough to break into um i don't know where you got that yeah. information <laughs> all right shocking shocking False. uh and then i just thought you know the pool is much much smaller in canada but that means like the competition is too so maybe it'll be easier to go and kind of break in there um and, and then transition over to la once i had some credits under my belt that's amazing. Was so you yeah, went there plan. and then you started meeting people. You started auditioning, I imagine. Talk us a little bit through what it was like to move not only countries, but also careers at the same sort of time. Oh, man. Like, um, I'd never been to Canada beforehand and I, I had no friends in Vancouver, but it was fine because I, I took some acting classes. So I met people and uh, like, look, I suck at a lot of things, but I don't usually suck at things that I like want to do you know like i suck at a lot of sports but i just don't care because i'm never gonna be you know <laughs> a football player but I, I have never sucked at anything so badly as i have at acting i, I was so incredibly bad and you have no <laughs> idea um it was tough it was tough but i had some good teachers and just ground it out amazing and what was your what was your first thing that you got cast in in canada uh, my first like professional gig was on a on a very short lived ABC show called The Whispers. Okay. Yeah. And what that was, was that like walking onto set? You know, being like, I'm being paid to be here every day. Yeah, I mean, it was surreal, um, and it was kind of crazy too because the the lead was was um, Milo from This Is Us, who I'd watched on Gilmore Girls. Amazing. And the director was um, Guillermo, de, uh, Guillermo Navarro, who was Del Toro's DP. So again, I was a fan of his work. So um, it, it was just so, it was just surreal to like actually be being paid to be an actor. And then it was surreal to be on a set with those people. So. Totally. That's amazing. Um, so you're saying you started out and you were, think you're a terrible actor, right? So I know I've heard people say like, oh, well, you got to be talented at acting. I kind of disagree because um, the first couple of times I saw myself just like on camera, I'm like, ugh. And then you can get better, right? So like, how do, what do you think about that? Have you heard that before? Like, oh, like, do you have talent in this and um, you got to be born with it or whatever? I, I feel like you can work to become like a great actor. Yeah, I mean, like I, I've been a big proponent of, of that for like all disciplines. Although I also think, and you know, I happy to be proven wrong, but it's like, I think, I think, you know, talent's one thing and then working hard will always make you better. But then I also think there is a natural ceiling on things. Like I, I could, you know, whatever my 100 meter sprint is right now, I could probably shave one or two seconds off that if I worked really, really hard. But I don't think, I don't think no matter how hard I worked, I would ever make the Olympics because yeah. like my natural ability is not there. So I do agree that like wherever your acting is or whatever skill it is, you can improve. But I think there is like a cap for each of us and it varies depending on what it is. Yeah, I get that. That's so interesting. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, some people are born with natural talents in certain areas. And I think as we're kids, I've been reading a lot of books about like, 
you know, blaming your parents for things or like reframing it in your mind as like an opportunity, you know, it's like, I think kids naturally gravitate towards things that they are good at or that like interest them because we get praise, we get like the gold star and that's kind of our society, right? Like we're always being um, encouraged to like get the A or get the gold star. So that is very fascinating to me. But I also do think that if you work hard enough at something, like you said, you could shave a second off your hundred meters, but then the, yeah. the person that was born physically, you know, Hussein Bolt, ready yeah. to <laughs> still going to smoke you. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Like if you come into it and yeah, you're going to be a phenomenal actor and you work hard. Yeah. yeah. Some people might like Leo was saying, you might have a bigger, higher ceiling, but you can still get, to like the pinnacle of where you're going to be totally. if you really acting put is still a craft it. at the end of the day right mm -hmm. like same with writing i mean same with a lot of things and the more time you spend what is that expression it's like ten thousand hours right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah so speaking of your ten thousand hours then lee so you're on this one show with these people that you greatly admire was it a snowball after that or did you have to kind of keep chugging away and you know day jobs uh, and yeah, I mean, I kept a day job for a long time, and look, I, look, I got super lucky. I, you know, I booked that gig within six months of being of auditioning, which is that's, which is that's incredible, which is crazy. That's crazy. And then that first year, I think I booked like three or four things, and they were all like one day roles. But um, that was just insanely lucky. Um, and they kept the lights on at home, obviously. Yeah. And and then I think it, it must have been my second year I got Man in a High Castle. So like I, I I've just been really really lucky to be honest. So. Yeah, that show's dope. And what I like that a lot. and what was the so you've done you've done Canada you're in Vancouver you're like I think it might be time to try America. What was that jump for you? Uh like there's definitely like a glass ceiling on all kind of like non LA location so you know if you're a local in georgia or new orleans or canada whatever and you start to realize that for all the bigger roles they're 100 percent going to cast it out of la and, and bring in an la actor so you know if you want to do those you just have to you just have to come here i think that's so what one of my acting coaches said like this is the nba there's other leagues but you're you're well, close to the action here. I was going to say to you as well, do you think that that's because there's certain like assumptions about people that move here? Cause it is a grind. I'm doing the quote unquote, you know, it shows that you're serious. Like I'm sure there's like a mental block because there's people that are of equal talent. You were as equally talented in Vancouver, but it seems like moving to LA now you're sort of taken quote unquote seriously. Like he's here, he's doing it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a bit of that. And then also it still is like, um, you know, it's like all businesses, it's still a relationship thing. So U.S. casting just, you know, if your Canadian reps are submitting a tape to U.S. casting, it goes to the bottom of the pile. Mm -hmm. like they're like, and why wouldn't it? Because they're like, well, I've been reading this one guy in L.A. who looks exactly like your client for the last three years. I'm trying to get him a job. I know him. I don't know your guy. Mm -hmm. You know, and if there's a million actors in L.A., like I'm going to find what I need here. Why would I, why would I start shifting through Canada? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a combination of being taken serious and you have to be here to build the relationships. Totally. And so then most recently you were in a film, like we mentioned on Apple plus with um, some incredible actors, Mahershala Ali. Um, what was it like working on a film of that nature, jumping from the other stuff that you'd worked on? Like I was, I was pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Uh, cause Mahershala and, and Glenn Close and then, you know, Naomi and, mm -hmm. um, it was very intimidating, but then the weird thing—well, not the weird thing—but like a, this the friendliest, most humble, generous people ever, um, and and I, I mean that for real. And then two, like looking back on the experience, and I mean this in the, like the most positive way. It felt like making an indie short with your friends on the weekend. Like awesome. the set was so relaxed, and just the collegiate nature was like kind of mind blowing for something at that scale. And you guys shot that during COVID, right? Yeah. Where did you guys shoot? Yeah, we, we shot in Vancouver, of course. Okay, yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> Moved to LA only to go back yeah. up to... To, to, to Vancouver. Every time, every time, yeah. No, there, it was beautiful. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Especially, yeah, where he stayed, where you guys stayed, where your business was by that lake was, was gorgeous. Yeah, that house was like, <laughs> like a, it had like a six-car garage and stuff. And I remember even, even Herschel was like, 
what the fuck? Like this house is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of a small uh, cost by the looks of it. So, you know, it's, I'm sure very special to work with a very small group of people that way, instead of something like man on the high castle, which has, you know, so many people coming in and out every single day. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, definitely one of the highlights of my career for sure. For now, stand by. Well, oh, yeah. Speaking of um, movies that had a lot of people in them, however, <laughs> uh, the last action hero had probably five hundred extra. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's that's being general. I mean, it's just such a visually rich film because it is a spoof of like, or not a spoof. It's like a sort of like David was saying, like an homage or something to action movies there's just every scene there's like so many people that could get blown up or shot or run what was it that made you choose this film to discuss on the pod uh so i hadn't seen it since i was a kid so mm -hmm. i always think it's interesting to go back and revisit movies and mm -hmm. then i, I kind of thought you know you guys are like the age like mill thing i thought this would be an interesting one because it's almost like if this this movie could be released today in terms of there's so much so many films now are kind of these meta self-aware commentaries on themselves. Like if totally. it's Deadpool or the new matrix or like scream. So I was like, I think it'd be interesting just to, to kind of check this film again. Most definitely. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, you know, the director of this film also directed, like you said, David, um, die hard. So die hard I loved predator that they, and they mentioned both of those films at one point. Um, and I loved that this, I mean, okay, let's back up. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, arguably one of the biggest action stars ever, even now, like is just still such a name, such a presence. And for him to go and do this role where he really wasn't taking himself too seriously, because there is a moment in the film where he meets himself, the real Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just, <laughs> if I had been stoned watching this movie, I think I would have been like, what's going on? Like this yeah. is too, but I love that. Like, and even like Maria Shriver, his wife, who I think it's still his wife. I'm not sure if they broke up. I know there was a whole uh, infidelity scandal, but like, she's like pulling him aside and she's like, don't mention the restaurants. Like, you know, <laughs> Hollywood. and then don't mention the gym. It's tacky. And then like, yeah. she kind of pulls him away. And it's just funny. Like someone like Arnold would have, the self, you know, awareness and like be able to poke fun at himself. I, I absolutely love that about this movie. He, he wanted to keep this lighter. The original script was a lot darker mm -hmm. and he wanted to keep this lighter from like coming off of Twins and then mm -hmm. also uh, Kindergarten Cop. And he wanted to keep that audience because he had just opened himself up to that audience. So he, he wanted to make this PG-13, but seeing like some of the stuff that was supposed to be in the original um yeah, script was was pretty amazing. Such as, like, do you have an example? The kid, what's the kid's name? Danny. Danny, yeah. Danny was supposed to sh get in like this huge uh, like shooting spree once he went into the <laughs> the the film because he was letting off like venting because his dad was dead, his mom was working, mm -hmm. you know, nights. He had no friends, and he had the knowledge of that movie genre. So he was like a god when he went into the movie, hmm. right? Um, Nick was supposed to be the devil that gave him that ticket oh. and it was supposed to be like they're feeding off kids watching these action genre movies. So Which I they thought, switched that. I thought that was interesting because I do know that like, there's always been a lot of discussion around how action movies are ruining kids or like, you know, violent video games and stuff. But yeah, all the adults in this movie are like, do it, take a gun, shoot the guy. Stab yeah. Stab well, even, even Danny, he's like, that's the problem with you bad guys. You're always talking. Yeah. Just shoot. <laughs> Just shoot. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I was like watching it and I sort of said to my partner, when is this supposed to take place? Like, is this supposed to be a real day? Cause New York comes across more dangerous than the film, right? Like mm. the guy's shot in the street. And then, so, so you should definitely watch the film, but if you haven't, Spoiler alert. Yes, he goes into the action movie and then the action movie comes out into real life. So the bad guy yeah. comes. Benedict, Benedict. Charles Dance's character. And sees this guy get shot in an alley and they take his shoes and then he waits for the siren and nobody comes because it's America and crime is rampant. And then he shoots somebody himself just, to test to his theory it. out. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's and like he confessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have just murdered a man yeah. in the streets. 
So I <laughs> I absolutely love that actor. And I heard yeah. I read on IMDb that they actually offered it to Alan Rickman first and Alan Rickman turned it down. So then he was wearing a shirt on set that said, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman because he was yeah. asked for less money. Alan Rickman didn't want to get typecast, so he mm. asked for a bunch of money and the studio passed. That would have been tricky, I think, coming off of Die Hard. Like, it would have, yeah. yeah. This this was a much funnier casting, I think, mm. for me personally. And he's, Charles Dance is awesome too. Yeah, awesome. he's phenomenal. He's a great villain. Game yeah. of Thrones, he's so scary. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I just think that it is wild that they portrayed new york like that in the 90s but from but from what but from but from what i've read i mean new york new york went through some dangerous you know phases and like i don't like to think that it's like that now but yeah i think it's yeah. it's definitely cleaned up a little bit brooklyn's so trendy you know i don't think if you can just go around shooting people in auto shop <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of guns in this, which for me as an Australian was a little confronting. I mean, I know it's meant to be kind of a piss take, but I was like, man, they just be killing everybody in here. <laughs> <laughs> but you really don't see any blood, you know? True. But I, I thought that was funny when Arnold and is it Maria or Marie Shriver, oh, his wife? I thought it was Maria, but I could be Maria. Wrong. Yeah, it probably is. I, they're doing the interview and he's like, yeah, the first movie we killed 106. This movie, we only killed 46. And the script's a lot better. The characters are <laughs> <Yeah>. better. <laughs> I thought that like just going back and forth to between like, you know, the film side of things and then real life and then him talking about the film. Uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so it's so meta, but it's so funny. And then mm. in the last scene as well, when like the bad guy from the film is there and also the actor and then yeah. they, <laughs> and the agent thinks that the guy's gone crazy and has like showed up to the premiere in his like costume. And then we don't see him die, I don't think. But we the see, Ripper. Yeah, the yeah, Ripper. Yeah. yeah, Tom Noonan. He was a bad guy in, I think I want to say RoboCop, too back like in the 80s i saw something with their one of the original writers some moms were like why did you throw a little kid off the roof and he's like i didn't write that they it was one of the other people that picked it up after me that threw the kid off the roof that's funny one thing that did stand out to me like you guys mentioned was like that he has no friends and that his parents aren't very attentive i do feel for his mother he is what we would call in australia i think maybe it's not an australian expression like correct me if i'm wrong but like a lot <laughs> Like a latchkey kid, like yeah. someone that, you know, that just lets themselves in at home because parents aren't there. And it's it's not like they're fully neglected, but like they sort of have to like take care of themselves. And it is it is a little sad, you know, that he's running around, that that guy can break into his house in the corridor, you know. Yeah, totally. That, that, that's freaky if you're a little kid. But I think it's also interesting that he sort of finds solace in action because, I mean, the three of us are all, you know, kind of film nerds. Um, and I, I find a lot of like joy in in cinema and i think it starts at a young age you know this kid is in the movie theater his best friend is this old projectionist who keeps you know things not in focus on the big screen <laughs> falling asleep to it, yeah know? yeah i just think it's very relatable you know because a lot of dorky kids do find their way to the movies in whatever capacity you know it's like easy I resent that comment. <laughs> you don't th but, you don't but you don't deny it. But you don't deny it. I don't it. deny it. I don't deny it. <laughs> I mean, we're all dorky deep down, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, I think it's like the storytelling. It's like the friends on the screen. And then he actually gets to meet his friends in real life. And they're bigger and better than ever. But yeah, it was just so many things. I think I've seen parts of this movie because the scene with Arnold's or the character Jack jack's daughter i feel like i've seen that scene before and it's either i've seen the real version that they're kind of making fun of because that red outfit that she was wearing was very familiar yeah. do you know what stuck out to me um he was like danny's like it's her first film it's the fourth one and that's his daughter and it's her it's the daughter's first film i was like so what the daughter wasn't in any no mention of her in the first three jack slaters i thought that was kind of yeah only the son yeah it's like you know yeah, which is kind of like a classic thing, right? Like just yeah. like keep the, like, keep the females off screen and yeah, or especially like, like Die Hard. Like he had a baby daughter, and then fast forward to a couple movies, and then she's a main character in one of them. Well, they always do it. Like it's his favorite second cousin. That's the plot in the beginning. <laughs> that gets well, because they killed all his other relatives in the first three, uh... <laughs> so that's like one of the only relatives left. <laughs> yeah, I did think the daughter was uh, hilarious. Like. 
but so respectfully done because she was clearly meant to be that girl in the action film that's kind of like in the shorty shorts. And then like in this movie, she was really actually quite kick-ass. Like she had her car and she brought, but yeah, it was hilarious. And also I think as people living in LA, I got so much joy from seeing like parts of LA that I recognized. And also like knowing that the geography was so wrong, like, <laughs> like they were down by the beach and then the next minute he parks his car up in the hills, you know? And then it's like, it's been like a few minutes or like he gets dropped in La Brea Top Hits, but they're down yeah, in like Long Beach. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know a rooftop uh, that's close to the La Brea Tar Pits that a crane can drop somebody. Uh, Lee, like what's some of the stuff that stuck out to you? And did this movie change from when you saw it as a kid to your mindset now? You know, it's funny because I, I remember not liking it very much as a kid. I don't, I don't really remember why, but I remember just thinking it was like, whatever. I, I always liked Charles Dance, but the film didn't like kind of stick with me. But now I, I think I like it a lot more, actually. I think it has yeah. a lot of adult jokes that maybe go over kids' heads, maybe, you know? Because yeah. I definitely was watching it and I'm like, is this a kid's movie? <laughs> I, I think maybe with an adult mindset and you kind of get to the point with the action genre where you're like, okay, that's not real. Guy unloaded a clip. And he's, he shot it 112 times and it's just a handgun. Like he would have had to reload, you know? So you think about these things as you get older, like that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And then you watch this movie that makes fun of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the it kind of speaks, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. I think it speaks to uh, adults in a different way than when you're a kid watching it. Cause you still have that kind of mysticism with watching it, action heroes. Right. I did, lo- I, I did love how the bad guy Benedict's character was like, I found a place where the bad guys can win and it's America. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's That's true. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, have to, they have to load the clips. Uh, what else? Yeah, the cars don't explode. He gets hurt and he's like shocked that he's hurt. Because yeah, in action movies, you punch, 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 break through a window and you get up and walk it off. Or you get shot in the chest and like, his bulletproof vest he's like not a scratch on him not even yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, also i was dying over the trope of the yelling uh deputy the, the cop the, sergeant yeah yes uh, yeah. Dude. just screaming the entire time and his and his um window keeps shattering because he's yelling <laughs> they had the steam coming out of his ears at one point oh. yeah it was hilarious uh. but yeah it's a, it's a great trope and i think it's interesting to hear, Lee, what your interpretation of it was as an adult. David, was there anything that stuck out for you? Um, Like I said, I thought it was funny. Danny was like, have you seen all the women? Like, she's way too good looking to be working <laughs> at a movie store. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And everybody's number starts with 555. <laughs> he's like, that's ridiculous. So, yeah, I laughed at a lot of the stuff in this movie. Now, I think probably more than when I was younger. Like uh, the L.A. Tar Pits when he falls in it and he's wiping off. He's like, Danny's like, you know, tar usually sticks to people. (laughs) (laughs) And his daughter pulls up. How did she know where we were? And he thought you might need some fresh clothes, Dad. Yeah, Too many things like that. It was great. And I loved the, you know what it kind of reminded me of, David, was the Roger Rabbit film that we did as well. Mm, God, I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great film. And we read it on the pod. And it's like, because there's the cartoon Tiger. So it's kind of like, there were moments that were a bit, I mean, I mean, the whole concept is like totally absurd. Right. But, <laughs> but, but there were moments that were even like absurd without the, beyond the rules, like the black and white, um, what's his name? Humphrey Bogart. It's like, you're paired up with the black and white redigitalization of Humphrey Bogart and you're, you're paired up with the, with the cartoon cat. Yeah. It was- uh, what, this is what I laughed out loud. Um, when he's like, that guy killed Mozart. Yeah. And then, and then Arnold Swatch is like, he killed Mozart. And he's like, who? Zart. <laughs> I was geeking out at that. Because he was the actor in Amadeus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he killed Mozart. He killed Mozart. Yeah, but he I, killed I'm Mozart. dying to know. And do you know, David? Like, so what was the, what was the, was, was F. Murray Abram always detached? Or was that a joke they wrote after? Or what would it, what was it in the original script? Because you said, was who already attached? Abram? Yeah. John, John Practice? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because you can't I, have I was, that joke without Salieri. Without, you know? exactly. Yeah. So I'm not sure, but they said they cut a ton of stuff. One of the original things that they that made it all the way through was the um, the Hamlet, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Hamlet. And everything else, it sounds like it was rewritten or restructured 
moving throughout. And then, yeah, they were just adding different jokes in. Different people were punching up um, punching up lines for different actors. And it just, uh, it said that it was kind of disjointed. But I don't think so, watching this movie. I don't know how you guys feel. But they're saying that it had so many different writers that it feels disjointed. I don't, I don't feel like it was disjointed. I don't think so. I mean... It definitely takes some twists and turns, doesn't it? Like when he goes through the screen, you're like, wait, what the fuck? Like yeah. I went into this movie not knowing anything except for the title and like the tile that I saw on Netflix, The Last Action Hero. I'm like, okay, I see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Obviously I go in with kind of an assumption. So this movie was like off the rails from what I, <laughs> from what I was personally expecting, you know? Yeah. But I didn't feel like yeah. it was disjointed. I felt like the pacing was great and it kind of all made sense. Um, I loved Ian, is it Ian McKellen's yeah. uh, as death at the end? I love his little cameo. Yeah, the cameos are great. Chevy Chase. I mean, they had everybody that was like really famous in 1993 come out. Two two different people called Danny Stupid. Um, <laughs> it was uh, Ian McC- uh, McC- McKellen. McKellen? Just messing yeah. that up. McKellen. And then uh, who was the, the mob guy? Of Vivaldi? Yeah, yeah, Vivaldi. They both were like, you're not a very smart kid. And then Ian's like, you're not you're not very smart, are you? You're bright. He's like, I'd be looking for the other side of that ticket. It's like every, all the villains think this kid's d- really <laughs> dumb. Really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I, did, but, I loved as well, like Stallone as the Terminator. That was such a funny yeah. joke to me. So many little visual cues. If you know your film history and you know your action history that are just amazing. Like when did the second Terminator come out? Well, Robert Patrick's in it too, though. He he walks past them when they walk. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it must have with come Sharon out Stone. Yeah. yeah, and apparently yeah. Sharon Stone and Arnold Schwarzenegger did not have a great relationship after Total Recall. Uh, um, but he called her and convinced her to come and be in the movie because that movie launched her career. Which I was like, that's ballsy. But of course, yeah. Arnold can just call up someone and be like, "Hey, I made your career." So yeah, do me this favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there like six? I saw there sixty-eight references to other movies. Oh wow! In this, yeah. I did laugh when he didn't know that his name was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he said, "No, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger," and he goes, "Gesundheit." That <laughs> that tickled me. <laughs> Things like that. See, that makes me feel like Arnold was good about like taking jokes about himself. I mean, let's not even go there with like how he's supposed to be this all-American guy with this thick Austrian accent. Yeah. <laughs> his daughter. Well, in the original script, the guy's name was like arno schwartz or something like that before arnold schwarzenegger was even attached to the project yeah yeah that's funny it's funny because usually on this podcast like we can just really point out things like that stood out to us like i mean there wasn't so much diversity but i will say this movie had at least a character of color that had major lines and like you know did move the story along um, and I, I, I'd forgotten. I was, was like, I was kind of in a weird way, like grateful when the when the the house jacker guy, the guy who breaks into his house and threatens him, was not, you know, black um, or Latino yeah. or something. It was like, oh, okay, that was, yeah, that was, that was good. But to your point, I was thinking about this too, Paris. If if it's Hollywood making fun of Hollywood, there wouldn't be a ton of diversity <laughs> in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, no, but it's the same with the women too. You know, like. There's always in these action type movies, like there'll be like the one hot girl, which in this case is Arnold's or the character Jack's um, daughter. But yeah, I think it really struck that note of being respectful of making fun of itself without being like offensive. Like the guy Mm -hmm. that there's, there's another guy of color who only has like one or two lines. It's the policeman that goes into his favorite second cousin's house and it's he ends up in the tree. two days away from retirement and he dies, which is a throw is like a callback to um, a diehard reference, right? Uh, no, lethal weapon. Lethal weapon, sorry. Um, yeah. So yeah, just some funny shit like that. But I do wonder, um, Lee, as a person of like Asian descent, do you watch movies and notice the lack of representation? Because obviously there was really no one that looks uh, like you. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, I d- it's again funny, you know, growing up in a small town, rural Australia, I didn't really so much but i, I do now a hundred percent yeah there was one um was is it tanaka oh, what's yeah. his You're name right. it was, it was guy, actually i think the guy who played like the driver la- yeah yeah it was like his last movie i think he wasn't he in um one of the james bond movie too and he was in running man yeah i think and one of the stunt guys 
who, who gets the ice cream cone to the back of his head. I'm pretty, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. He was in Bat- he's been in a ton yeah, of he stuff. He was in Batman and Big Trouble in Little China and stuff. I love Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, me too, dude. Me too. Uh, yeah. So much. <laughs> but so you're saying, Lee, just to circle back, so you didn't grow up seeing anybody really that looks like you. Um, being no. From, and so, but I mean, I think the way Hollywood is now, I mean, I know you're part of this group on Twitter because I see you interacting with them of these like strong Asian lead men who are coming up through Hollywood. Like Simu Liu is someone that we have chatted about, like at a coffee and stuff like that. It's interesting, I think, because we always talk about representation and diversity. And I think pre maybe like 2019, I don't think necessarily know that the Asian community was even talked about, like included in that group. I think we would always be like, oh, there's no one of color. But do you think that the industry is changing for the better in that regard? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's definitely better than it was. I, I still think it's got a long way to go. Totally. Um, but it's better. Like, it's funny, because I always, like, yeah, there's this big push right now, like, for Asian men to be, like, you know, to be these leading men and to be, like, sexy and all this stuff and whatever. Which, is, that because, you know, is that because Shang-Chi was, like, so well-received, do you think? Well, I think it was It was kind of after Crazy Rich Asians. Because, mm, um, you know, tr- traditionally, like, Asian men are emasculated or whatever because of, you know, Long Dong Duck and Breakfast at Tiffany's and, and stuff like that. Oh, trust me. We did Breakfast at Tiffany's and it was yeah. a horrifying rewatch. Oh, man. The Mickey Rooney scene kills me. But, um... Mm. I do think the problem is now is like, I think there's a hyper focus on, on these like strong Asian leading men, as opposed to like the focus should be on developing acting talent because, you know, like I don't, it, it's important that we have, you know, Asians in rom-coms and, and Asian, you know, we have superheroes, but I want the next Asian C- Philip Seymour Hoffman and the mm-hmm. next Asian Gary Oldman, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, like serious serious character actors acting you know who are going to be up for oscars and at the pinnacle of of the craft i don't really you know when we're there then we can talk about progress yeah i I mean it would also be nice to just see such a range of people that we don't have to be like strong asian leading men as like a breakdown you know versus just like Great yeah i'm looking for a, yeah a strong actor and it's like you've got people across the spectrum of like looking like everything so i totally hear what you're saying it's just interesting because you know you do watch something like this and then la is such a diverse place it's like kind of weird there wasn't that many um people of like latino descent but <laughs> you've got all these bad guys who are like what does he call him like they're making fun of him for being like sicilian spaghetti eating whatever guy mm-hmm. tuscan yeah. idiot um so very very interesting and i think if that would be one, like one criticism of the film but to your point david i'm talking in circles now but like it is kind of making fun of itself so yeah i don't know it's like the way this movie was written produced structured directed it's like is this kind of untouchable because of the subject matter of what they're trying to do and making fun of not even making it's not even really a parody right mm-hmm. um because it's there's just so much involved in it and it still highlights that genre while also poking fun at it itself can we talk about so. the uh the technology in this film so this movie is next year it'll be 30 years old that is crazy because 1990s <laughs> something always seems like 10 years ago because i always think we're in the, like first <laughs> yeah. part of the 2000s but too, no wrong we are now 22 <laughs> years into the 2000s so i had to crack up when he's like blasting away on the highway and his like you know convertible and he puts in what looked to me as an idiot like a game boy something do you guys remember that when like he mp3 yeah player he's like blasting like music in his car but it literally looks like the old game boy cartridges that you used to put <laughs> in um obviously no cell phones so the mom didn't know where he was you know just stuff like that that i whenever i watch these movies i'm like man that to me is the biggest thing that jumps out like life is so different now you know like this movie would be so different because they could track you with your fucking cell phone or whatever or they could you know, film you or what? I just so interesting. And like those movie theaters, like they are dying out. Those old yeah. movie theaters. Those are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Lee, did you ever live in Sydney? I forget. I didn't. No. Okay. There was this amazing 
theater that I'll never forget as a kid called the Hayden Orpheum. And it reminded me so much of the film cinema that they go into. It had like these ornate, like gold ladies, like holding, you know, fake like torches, very Grecian. And the seats were like kind of shitty, but like covered in red, <laughs> kind of, you know, covered in, covered in red velvet. And I remember as a kid, like it was more like going to the, to like see a play, you know, on this big screen. Yeah, totally. And, and now you've just got these like, and I'm not criticizing because I do love my AMC Stubbs membership. But, you know, like when I saw Dune, I sat in a chair that looks like my dad's like den leather chair that fully extended, you know, like yeah. with a giant like drink cup holder beside me <laughs> and stuff. It's just it's sad that the movies have changed so much to this like more corporate monolithic type thing versus like the the theater that we saw in this film. True. But I mean, they're struggling a little bit mm-hmm. or have been. Um, I'd be interested to see if somebody did open something like this, mm-hmm. like one of those theaters, if they'd be successful, kind of like have that extra experience. And that's a reason to not watch it on HBO Max mm-hmm. first week out, you know, because you can go to something really cool and t- have that experience with all these different people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where there's like that balcony above. I, I just I thought that theater was awesome. What was the last movie that you guys saw with that kind of like group experience where people were like reacting? Because I know Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hands yeah. down. Okay. Yeah. I got chills a couple times. People were clapping at multiple scenes. And there was a lot of people in the theater and stuff. Oh, it was packed. packed. It was yeah, it was full. Yeah. It's interesting. They, they just took over Titanic, uh, for gross domestic. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Um, it's been a minute for me. I haven't seen Spider-Man yet. I'm sorry. I will go see it. I do love mm-hmm. all of that, but I'm trying to think the last time I saw a movie that had such joyous, you know, group energy, because when I saw Dune, I was in a massive theater and there was like five people in it, you know? Oh, shit. And wow. I think that's sad. I think the fun part of going to the movies and sitting in an actual theater is like feeling the vibe, right? Like feeling the energy of people. But even in this film, I don't know if you guys caught it on the outside, it said coming soon whatever like cineplex or fake made up you know monolithic Mm. cinema chain so even in the 90s they were talking about these kitsch places going away which is sad yeah yeah no i mean it's i I think there's a level of nostalgia about this film there's like a veil on top of it like from the shoes to the cars to the music to the outfits um it made me a little bit happy and i wasn't even like that old in like 1993 like the cop cars are awesome because there's no those cop cars don't exist anymore you know the taxis taxis. like that they don't exist anymore and i grew up watching all these like late 80s early 90s movies with those kind of vehicles in it and it yeah this movie was way over the top i mean they had like an 85 million dollar budget yeah which it lost a ton of money i read yeah, yeah. O- overall, once it hit international, like I think 63% of the sales were international, um, but they they made money eventually. I just can't believe that this film's not more like talked about because to me, it's such a perfect encapsulation of, yeah, sort of like making fun of itself. You know, Austin Powers is very popular and that kind of makes fun yeah. of like the James Bond. Why don't we have more action jokey Last films? Action hero. Yeah. I mean, there was like what, like Naked Gun, some of yeah. the detective ones. I think um, Charlie, what's his name? Uh, Tiger Blood did a couple mm-hmm. where he was making fun, like Hot Charlie Shots, yeah. Charlie Sheen with like action movies. But um, to your point, like with this not being that much popular, the studio, I think Columbia, they were kind of arrogant to the fact that um, they went up against Jurassic Park, which uh, released a week beforehand. Okay. And they thought, they're like, eh. But we've last got two, Arnie. Yeah, and like Spielberg's last two movies weren't, didn't do what Jurassic Park did and they thought they could hang and it's just Jurassic Park was amazing obviously yeah. and, and, and I think too McTiernan wasn't happy because I read an interview where he was saying they rushed it and like he basically said the cut of the film you see he would equate it to an assembly cut um, mm. you know so I, I think that's probably the thing of like you know in, if you think the director doesn't even like their own film yeah yeah, they said ten months. I think they had to get it done by. So if you think if they would have pushed it a couple months out, and not went the week after Jurassic Park, he had more time to do a couple more edits. Who knows what it would have done in the box office? It's incredible. But I love. I like this yeah. movie. 
Yeah. And also I read that they were shooting up to the week it was premiering. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you have to say, I mean, the three of us kind of know what knows what goes into making something, not maybe of this val- like level, but like, that's fucking impressive. You know, the fact that they, that they got it done. I mean, I can only imagine the anxiety and stress of like the producers or the editors or the, the colorist, you know, just like working around the clock to get it done. But I agree with you, David, I thought this movie was really fun and I found myself really enjoying it, which sometimes we do movies where I'm just like cringing the whole time and I'm just like, (laughs) make it stop. Um, But yeah. Was there anything else that really jumped out to you guys? I think the thing that I think I clocked the most, you know, in a kind of get a meta way is like, even after this and even after 30 years, how many of those tropes have still prevailed, you know, like, like, like how sure we made a lot of progress, but then so much of it is still exactly the way that it was. Totally. Yeah, they still use the same types of cheesy lines. They still, the bad guys will miss 100% of the shots, but the good guys will get that one. Blows you away. The cars will explode. I mean, even schmarmy British or European guy as the villain. Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. (laughs) Obviously, it's the British guy. (laughs) What's a recent movie that you guys would think is comparable to this, like a, a recent action movie the past couple of years that has some kind of these. I mean, not to make fun of Extraction, but did you guys see Extraction? I, I Extraction's the first thing that popped in my head, Paris. Yeah, there was, yeah. A, there was a lot of, and I listen, I love Chris Hemsworth, gonna support him forever, yeah. gonna, gotta stick by your Aussies, but that was like, and I, I don't, yeah, he's like, yeah, peace and love. Me and Chris, we're on the same, we're on the same level. We really try to support each other. Um, but yeah, no, that one jumped out at, to me. David, I remember us both watching it kind of at the start of the pandemic and just mm. explosions and foreign locations. And they're making another one apparently. So. Yeah. I like that movie though. I just like right? it. For, for what it is. Yeah, um, what it like, is. you know, going into it, he's going to, he's going to get shot a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He's going to shoot out a bunch of people. He's going to take up his shirt and come out. They're going to die. Video. He's not going to die. Oh, that's right. In yeah. the film, the be- <laughs> one of the best lines is when the kid Danny is like trying to do chicken and he's like, oh shit, I'm the comic sidekick. <laughs> and then you see the ET reference yeah. on the bike. Yeah. You know, I, I'm kind of shocked they haven't decided to remake this with The Rock because mm. I could totally see this being released like next week with The Rock in it. You know? Or, da- or Dave same. Batista or yeah, someone, Batista, or John yeah. Senna, someone with like the comedy chops. You know? True, but I think if you did it, you'd, you'd have, have to, to go The Rock Batista, to try to get to fame. the level of Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And I would watch that movie <laughs> to see how he did it. Like, could it, do you guys think, Lee, do you think that movie could touch with The Rock, could touch Arnold Schwarzenegger? I, I mean, may, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Right? I, I, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just wonder how it would work with like the technology side of it, because, um, you know, again, a part of it, the fact that this kid goes missing is because, you know, like maybe they would have to remake it where he like goes into his Netflix or his HBO. Think about this. (laughs) When when the new Jumanji came out, I was like, this is going to be such bullshit. You can't touch Jumanji. And then I thought the new Jumanji was like really smart and really good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. They could do a they could do an interesting update maybe yeah. another little twist or you could have it that people don't really go to the movie theater anymore and Danny character is like a purist and he's big and that's like where he escapes so that's why there's nobody in the theater when he goes mm-hmm. and it happens. David and yeah. I, David and I are kind of genies. I say this all the time on the podcast, but like whenever we joke about remaking a movie in like two weeks, there'll be a deadline article, and we'll be like, "Damn it, are they listening to us?" <laughs> yeah. like, someone, someone, someone's out there just taking notes. <laughs> okay, David and Paris did this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty. Oh, they're 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 talking about it. We're tastemakers. Um, well, yeah. let's circle back then to kind of like move towards the end of the podcast because. There's a lot of actors acting as themselves in this movie. Um, Lee, did the acting seem like when you watched it, do you notice different things about acting now that you are like working professionally in this field? Like, were you like, oh, you would have had to prepare for that? Or like, you know, do you, do you yeah, pick the part? Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah, definitely. I'm a lot more critical of acting than I than I used to be, for, for sure. And, and, and it's also an understanding of more, you're right, of like what goes into it and like, mm. um, stuff but i i think when i watch this the thing i notice the most is like it really does seem like everyone is having a lot of fun like literally everyone totally yeah Yeah. 
It's interesting. Um, obviously you've played a range of characters. Can you speak a little bit about your process for diving into, you know, this versus that? You know, it's like a lot of actors, you know, like they, or people talk about like different schools of acting like method or Meisner or whatever. And I'm always like, you know, every scene, every character requires different tools, right? Like you can't, you can't cut with a hammer and you can't hammer with a saw or whatever. So, you know, I just look at the challenges of, of the character or the scene and, and try to work out what's the best way to crack and break those down. And, you know, a lot of different things. Um, I will say like whenever I've had like a longer form role, like, you know, if I'm like recurring on a TV show or, you know, we're going to do a season, a couple of seasons, I, I usually will get like a journal and I'm not necessarily like journaling per se, but it helps me keep track of like a lot of things and arcs and ideas. I, quick question too. Like you're talking about preparing for roles and it's just interests me because I haven't really like worked like bigger stuff or anything, but did like from when you got the audition, did you just get like a couple of scenes and then prepare for that for your audition? And then when you got the role, did you get the whole script or did you just get larger scenes that you were in? Uh, yeah, TV TV's interesting because generally, you know, a lot of the times they're writing as they go. Um, and so you tend to get the script a week before you shoot. Um, so which I actually, you know, it's like there's something to be said when you get a movie or you do a play and, you know, you have the whole story and you can you can carefully kind of plan and build an arc and blah, blah, blah. But like there's also something I really like about TV and doing it on the fly in that it almost simulates real life in that like I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So everything, I, all the decisions I make are just purely based on what I know right now. So, so I do, interesting. Yeah, so I, true. Right. And, and it's so funny. Like I. I used, to, I used to be that guy, but I've kind of come around, you know, people like that character would never do that. Or like now they've done a 180, but it's, I, I always think, you know, Brian Cranston said this thing with the right pressure and circumstance, you're capable of anything. And so I think, you know, when characters do things out of character, I don't think that's necessarily true. It's like they're making decisions based in the moment and the moment mm -hmm. changes. So like I could say today, I will never kill anyone. And then next week someone breaks into my house and tries to kill me and I straight up murder them. And that's not out of character. That's like new circumstances. Under that circumstance. Pressure, right? did, yes. did, you get, did you get that, Attorney General? He's, <laughs> it's actually, he's premeditating. We got him, Paris. We got Damn him. Six, this is an elaborate honey trap. Like, well well <laughs> played. Well Wrap played. it up. We're not even This isn't even connected to anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And then, well, okay, let me ask you this. Uh, David's definitely more the actor out of the two of us, but, you know, as someone who writes and stuff like that when you are reading the material how much um backstory do you create for the character yourself because you mentioned journaling and how much are you really looking for the clues in the page both right i think they, they inform one another and i think it's like i remember i can't remember who it was it might have been like liam neeson or someone they asked him about his prep and he's like he's like i do none and they're like what and he's like the level I'm at, the writing is so good, everything you need mm. to know is on the page. And, and I think that's kind of true. It's like the better the writing, the less you have to do because it's all just there. So, just do what it says. So my kind of thing is, you know, like I read and it's like every time I, I bump up against something where I'm like, why or what or whatever, then, then I think it's the actor's job to go back and build a backstory that justifies that. Mm. But it's like if the writing's so good, you almost never bump up against those things because it's just like it just is so perfect so for swan song did you get once you got the role did you get the whole script and so you got so you got that's good so you, you knew the whole picture and story and then your part in it but then here's what i'm also learning which i never really thought about before is um and even glenn and mahershala and and, and ben the director were saying it they're you know, even if you come in with prep, you're still refinding it and changing it every day. And it, like, it isn't like we might be two weeks into shooting and like one of the actors is like, oh, I finally get my character now. Mm -hmm. And and I think it also happens in that, like, if you have no rehearsal and a lot of these roles to bigger actors are on offer as opposed to like taped or whatever. Coming in to so you, you have no idea what they're going to do and they really are finding it every day. And then and then because the cast on Swan Song was so small. 
and I'm a supporting character, my job is to support, we were constantly readjusting what I was doing to accommodate what Glenn was doing because it was like, you know, if Glenn had a came, I had visions to come in and play Rafa like really warm and friendly, but Glenn was doing that. And so then it was like, you can't have, then it's just like, I there's don't know. There's no tension. Yeah. Right. yeah. So then we're rejigging it to be like, no, you should be very standoffish and cold. So again, no prep is wasted, but it's also like, just throw all that shit in the trash and come to set. But as a writer, that's the same with like drafts, right? Like I feel like no creative art form is ever finite. And also like, even in your performance, you're saying, you know, I'm not coming across as warm. I'm readjusting, but similar to our character, Danny in this, like you have no idea what people are taking from your character. So that's what I think is so interesting about what we all do is like, no person ingests anything the same way, you totally. know, like, and it's like the give and take of energy. And I think that's why I love this form of storytelling because you can read a book and it's there on the page and yeah, maybe you've had a different experience. So you interpret things differently. But like, if I catch your eye twitch, I'm like, Ooh, he's like scary. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And I love, I love the give and take of what your side of the profession looks like. And I love Glenn Close. I, <laughs> I met her at Sundance one year and uh, the door girl did not know who she was and made her spell her name out loud. Oh and, I, and I was yelling, she's fine. She's fine from the back. <laughs> Cause I recognize her, but this poor like 19 year old was like, who are you for man's name? You know? Um, like you didn't see the OG Dalmatians. Yeah. Come yeah. on. That's cruel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. But Lee, if you could give a piece of advice to sort of like an actor coming up, um, David, you know, is coming up, he's working, his way to hopefully have something similar to what you've got going on. What What's something that you would impart to people listening in who might want to follow in the acting footsteps? It's kind of a weird one, but I think the, and it's, and it's tough, right? Because on one level there is, I do think there is an objective element to our craft, right? You can look at something and say that's good or that's bad, but then, you know, there's like subjective stuff as well. So I think the most important thing to do is to, to hone your own personal instinct right because you know there's a famous thing of like you're never as good or as bad as they say you are so you know when you leave an audition you know or or you throw in a tape or or you do a take and you're going to get feedback and i think it's important to be able to actually kind of sit back and be like is that feedback does that feedback actually make sense to me because you know you i i think one of i i i had an audition for a cop just after coming off Man in the High Castle, where I basically play a, a, a cop for two years. And this casting director who'd never seen me, I do the take, and she's just like, I don't believe you. Do you even know how to be like a cop? Nothing about you says cop. Like, what are you doing? Like, do you even know what you're doing? And in my head, I'm like, well, I just did it for two years, so I probably know. But like, <laughs> if, if I had have been, if that had been my first audition, that could have been soul crushing. Yeah. Right? On the flip side, I've had, you know, you have auditions where you do it and like everyone's like, that was so good, blah, blah, blah. And then you don't get the job. And, you know, then, so I just think it's so easy to get fucked with. So you just really have to hone your own instinct and have people around you who are actually honest with you, who are like, no, you were terrible. That, that, I'm sorry, you were terrible in that show. And, but you were good in this show. And because otherwise, how do you, how do you stay sane? Great advice. I mean, that apply, yes. that applies to like other things in life too, right? Like everybody's a critic and you have to find that middle ground of like following your gut, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, my friends, it is that part of the podcast where we pick someone from the cast or crew to shout out. David, would you like to go first? You know what? I would. <laughs> I'm going to go with Connie Brink and she was the special effects and art department on this film. Yes. She's worked on Cloverfield, the Manchurian candidate, which is a fantastic movie, uh, limitless war of the worlds. Um, she hasn't worked in a little bit, but she's got a ton of credits. Like, um, this scroll is taking a while to get down here. 90, 97 special effects credits. Um, Connie, I think you should come back, get three more. And call it a hundred piece if you're going to be done working, just so we can get it on here. But um, Connie, we see you and we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you, Connie. It takes a village. Uh, Lee, do you have somebody you'd like to shout out? 
Yeah, uh, you know, I, I had to shout out the casting directors for this, actually. Mm -hmm. So Jeanette Hershenson and Jane Jenkins. And, you know, I, I know they're, they're big casting directors, but I think about the, the wrangling and assembling they would have had to do to get this done. Because, like, you, like, you even have Joan Plowright as the teacher. You know, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling the people they got to totally. this movie. So. Yeah, well, we see them and we appreciate them. Yeah. Casting is an underappreciated art form, I think. And you guys know, like, they can make or break a career if they are rooting, exactly. rooting for you. Um, well, I went with Miss Linda Folk, who was the Foley editor. So if you don't um, know what if you don't know what Foley is, it's all of the like sounds, right? Like they use like celery to break to make it sound like a gunshot or something like that. These people are fucking artists and i just mm -hmm. i definitely laughed because some of the sound effects in this movie were just so perfect and it was like they struck this balance of being like real but also like ridiculous it wasn't like roger rabbit or was like boing when he shoots a gun but it was like mm. still a little bit heightened and hilarious so linda has had quite a interesting career her last credits from 2009 so i'm not really sure what she's up to in the last um 13 years but she worked on the dark knight she walked worked on um x-men the last stand i mean she's worked on bad boys 2 shanghai nights how to lose a guy in 10 days like when i look at this list of like late 90s early 2000s i mean she's worked working the 80s like she's just got she worked on rambo 3 like she's a legend um and and she's moved her way up <laughs> It looks like her final kind of role was um, ADR supervisor, which I can only imagine as like a promotion. So, Linda, we see you and we appreciate you. See you and we appreciate you, Linda. Love to see women in the sound department. Not a super sexy job, um, but very, very important. Bad sound is the killer of student short films. It is <laughs> not good. Um, oh. Not good. But, guys, we have to decide. Well, first of all, Lee, where can people find you, follow you, support you, champion you? How can they connect with you on social media? Thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and the, um, just at LC Shorten on both. C for cat. Lee Cat Shorten. His <laughs> full legal name. Yeah, yeah. You got me, you got me. You got, Damn it. I'm so good at guessing middle names. Um, and do you, I hate asking this, because, but we're only because we want to support you. So everyone go watch Swan Song on Apple. It's a great film. Lee, is there anything else we can look out for in the coming future or you're just auditioning right now? Uh, I do have a bunch of things, uh, but I'm not allowed to talk about Ooh, any of them. NDA. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah, we love to see people working, and when when it is when we are allowed to talk about it, we'll do a sort of like a, you know at the end of an episode, we'll be like, and don't forget Lee, who we talk to, is blah blah mm -hmm. blah, because we you know we want to champion the people that come on our podcast, and it is a collective effort. But yeah, support support guys. Did this film age like milk? Lee, you are our guest. We will let you choose first. You know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to say it aged like wine, actually. I think yeah. I think it got better. I think it got better. Great. A fine cabernet in the, <laughs> in the cupboard that you forgot about. <laughs> David, what do you think? Yeah, um, I'm going to say pretty much the same. This movie definitely still holds up to me. I still had a bunch of laughs. I'm wondering be kind of creepy but to record myself as a kid watching this mm. see where i laughed compared mm. to where i laughed this past week mm. see if that changed or see if i kept some of my sense of humor um but yeah i still like this movie a lot when you told me leave chose this i was like fuck yeah <laughs> like i get <laughs> i get to watch last action hero a couple more times um so yeah I, I thought this movie was awesome i was surprised that it didn't do so well in the box office but hearing some of the background of it and then the schedule of it mm. it makes sense but yeah, I think this movie's great. So We got a trifecta. I think this movie aged not badly. I wasn't offended. I wasn't cringing. I did really like it. I do wonder, the only thing that makes me pause is I wonder if a Gen Zer would understand the references or mm. like, you know, like my boss's kid who's like two when he watches this in... 15 years is he gonna understand why it's funny like are we just the perfect age where we 
still, you know, love Die Hard and like kind of grew up with these movies that they're making fun of, that would be the only thing. Like, are they going to miss the references of certain things? Like, will there be cinemas? Like, hopefully, where they're like, why is that guy sitting in that weird room with that big screen? Why aren't they watching Netflix at home? Um, So that's the only thing that makes me pause. I think from a content perspective, yes, it's still a great movie. It still holds up. But I do wonder if we are just riding that last wave of of finding it funny and, and loving it but that's you know, a very good point maybe mm-hmm. we will because we, we shall see we still think you know humphrey bogart's like if you did kind of a black and white piss take of like the maltese falcon i would mm. get it i would yeah. get it but i'm well, also Blanco, yeah. yeah but i'm also a film nerd and those movies are quote-unquote classics i don't know that this film is going to transcend into a, <laughs> into a classic yeah. but then you'll have you probably will have some of those movie buffs and those movie nerds that have seen all the action stuff and have seen Die Hard when their film nerd dad makes them watch yeah. it at Christmas and then they put them onto this and they're like, oh yeah. yeah. You kind of get the tone and feel of this movie. I mean, Arnie Schwarzenegger is not going away. Well, I think. Because like they kind of make, they have Ing- Ingmar-, Ingmar Bergman mentioned in this film and I was like, oh, I know who she is. And yeah, like Humphrey Bogart. Like, you know, these are names. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I hope. Kids will be like, the governor from California? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's the show for now, Lee. Thank you so much again for coming on. Always a pleasure to chat with another Aussie. And, uh, of course, love your take on all of this. We will yeah, exci- this great. excitedly keep our eyes out for uh, the Twitter the Twitter tweets uh, to, to see what's uh-huh. going on. But for now, David, you should check your fridge. And make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Gross milk is gross. That's the show. Thank you so much. Please go watch this movie and make sure you watch Swan Song and support our guy, Lee Shorten. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.